I'm so glad you're with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. And that is my goal, is to serve you in every way I can with concise information that will empower you to take more control of your life. But there are times the advice I give, you feel it's inaccurate, it's wrong, it's bogus, whatever it is where I did not deliver. I need that feedback from you because without it, I can't improve myself. And I'm someone who's a big believer in continuous improvement in my own life. So if you'll go to Clark.com, we have a place called Clark Stinks where you can go let me know where I have not delivered to you and to others. Others can read what you've said. They can comment on it and see what others are saying as well where I have failed them in their opinion. And then weekly, our producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All righty. We're going to stop with start with this one. <laughs> Enough with the advertisements. You don't stink, Clark, but the advertisements on your podcast do. Enough is enough. I listen to your podcast for information, not annoying advertisements that come on in the beginning and in the middle. Well, one of the things we do is everything we make available, we make available for free. Newsletters, websites, podcasts, radio show, it's all free. And it's all ad-supported. And that's a decision that we've made because I want to reach the widest possible audience I can. And the second you start charging fees, even people that are very devoted... They're very devoted to me. They're probably too cheap to pay the fees. So the ads are there for a reason. They support the production and distribution of all the various sources of information that we provide. Hi, Clark. You definitely don't stink, but you might have taken a caller's question too literally. A caller asked you how to find the least expensive time to visit a destination. Everything you told him was correct, but not all hotels offer the same discounts at the same time. You told him to get on the mailing list for the top hotel chains, but you neglected to mention that many independent hotels also have mailing lists that offer deals. Oftentimes, the individual hotel websites list a number of deals that aren't available on travel search engines or even in the website for the hotel chain. While hotels may be less expensive in the off-season, they may reduce their rates even further while they're doing construction, while the pool's being renovated, etc., And in these high-tech times, we forget that you can also call the hotel and ask them when they'll have their best deals. Thank you for that post. I appreciate that. In the case of that caller, that individual wanted to know just for anywhere in the country or even beyond, they were specifically interested in domestic, how to know the price patterns. And so uh, until they narrow into a specific city or area, that would be a step too far for them to start checking with local hotel operators versus the chains. But I appreciate the suggestion. 
Clark, you generally don't stink, but on the podcast, you had a retiring caller tell you that she's getting $500,000 in retirement. And instead of having her take the lump sum, investing in diversified mutual funds that she should net her five to 10%, that should net her five to 10%, you said she should take the annuity payout, which is much less and ends with her death. I couldn't believe my ears. In my opinion, this lady will be leaving thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table by taking what you called the simplest solution. Instead, she should find a qualified investment person who can explain the options and get her invested wisely so she can live off the interest each month and not crack the golden egg. Confusing since this seems contrary to your normal advice. So the reason I like for someone with a pension to not take the lump sum is that the biggest problem people face in retirement is that they outlive their money. In order to generate a kind of return that you suggested, 5 to 10%, would require somebody to be way out on the risk meter in what they're choosing to invest in. And many people tend to be of such a mind that money would only go into CDs or savings accounts, which will never generate the kind of money that you'll be able to generate from an ongoing payout from a pension rather than taking a lump sum all up front. So it sounds incredibly conservative on my part, but in reality, my goal is to keep someone from being impoverished later in their lives. Every day I listen to Clark's podcast on the way home from work. I'm replying to your October 18th show regarding flood insurance. We are a family insurance agency specializing in flood insurance since 1968. What you said about FEMA and flood insurance stinks. Lloyd's of London, a 332-year-old company rated A, offers flood insurance for about 33% less than what FEMA charges with better coverage. Lloyd's of London has the same low premium with or without an elevation certificate. Assurant, also rated A, offers flood insurance at a much lower premium than FEMA. That's a perspective I've never heard from anyone, and it's given by someone in the insurance industry. So I'm never supposed to have the last word. This individual says that they can quote you a lower effective premium than through floodsmart.gov, and if that's true, I stand corrected, but let the marketplace decide that. If, in fact, that is valid information you should draw on, get a quote from an independent agent specializing in flood insurance, as well as a quote from floodsmart.gov, and then you'll be able to make the best decision for the insurance you buy for your family, for your home. Clark, as a regular listener, I have one request of you. Sometimes you don't ask a caller some detail that the rest of us would love to know. It might be because you already know this by the info that was given to you from your screener, but we don't. For example, last week a woman called about buying a business franchise and a house at the same time. You advised her to wait on the house, but what was the franchise? Even just knowing the type of franchise, if not the brand, would be something. It's like watching a suspenseful movie and having having the cable cut out just before the mystery is solved. Thank you, and you don't really stink. (laughs) Well... Gosh, I remember so many of the calls today. Usually it's like it's such a jumble. So when I took that call, um, I never asked what franchise because I would have gone down a hole pretty quickly that I never would have addressed the house and the franchise issue that I talked about. 
because with franchises, I so strongly recommend somebody go work in a business before they ever buy a franchise because it's not as important to me what the franchise was. I didn't have that information. And if I'd asked it and they had said it, then I would have had to be careful how I would have spoken about that specific company, that specific enterprise, and the advice may have sounded fuzzy at that point. I made a decision not to ask, and maybe you're right. Maybe a lot of people were sitting there saying, well, what franchise? What franchise? And maybe I should have handled it differently. Clark, love your advice. Keep it up. I think you missed on the tariff issue. I support free trade. The problem is that China restricts access to their markets and requires offset. You gave an example of America's strength in the aircraft industry. The fact is, Boeing was only allowed to sell their aircraft in China after they agreed to a technology transfer and to move the assembly of the 737 to China. You gave an example of Google. The fact is, Google was only allowed to enter the Chinese market after they agreed to filters that met Chinese propaganda standards. Google was given an ultimatum. Agree to the propaganda filters or China will steal their search technology, build their own search engine that would be used exclusively in China, and then they will become a competitor throughout the world. You said that Apple has no rival. Many people would say that Samsung is very much a rival. Samsung is South Korean but has to build their phones in China. Simply put, Chinese trade barriers distort the markets. Tariffs twist it back to where it should be. I want to thank you for that post. And time will tell if the tariffs, which are taxes on the goods we buy, are going to be effective as a way to deal with some of the behavior, some of the practices in China. There's no doubt that China is an economy managed by the Communist Party, and there are manipulations, there are restrictions on what foreign companies, U.S., European, and other Asian companies, what they're actually able to do in their operations in China, and those are true market distortions. And so this is not an easy one that easily fits a simple solution. Tariffs, on the other hand, are a blunt instrument to try to deal with the disputes we have with China, and it's my feeling that tariffs hurt the American people just like they may or may not hurt the Chinese people, but much more likely to hurt us than anybody else. Clark has a stinky dietitian. I do. I eat terribly. I fully agree with you on the stink of the law in Missouri, but I also think your feelings on eating meat stink. More and more dietitians are breaking free from what we have been ingrained G-R-A-I-N-E-D, ingrained with for so many decades. High-protein, high-fat diets are being shown to be very beneficial to everyone besides Kellogg's and the corn wheat farmers. So don't feel bad about a diet high in red meat. Thank you for that post. I finally have somebody who's not going to guilt me about eating red meat. How do I handle that? So I just believe that the Cattlemen's Association of Missouri getting a law passed restricting what food manufacturers can call their food is kind of crazy. You know, now there's the fight going on with dairy farmers about whether almond milk can be called almond milk. And uh, what other kinds are there? Oh my gosh, there's like soy, cashew, all sorts of um, nut milks and other milks that um, they don't want to use the word milk. They don't want them to be able to use the word milk. So I guess we'll call them almond (laughs) non-milk. 
It is hard to milk an almond. Okay, Clark, I love and hate your weekly Clark Stink segments, but I have a suggestion for making it a pure love experience. I love the fact that you allow people to challenge your ideas and advice. I hate it, however, that you give only cursory replies to the Clark Stinks posts. What if you were to do Clark Stinks only once a month, the first or last Friday of the month, for example, and did a bit of a roundtable discussion in more detail about the topics in discussion? I listen to your podcast every day and greatly enjoy it. But after several years, I'm ready to hear Clark Stinks only once a month. David in Cypress, Texas. David, thank you for that. Many people tell me that Clark Stinks is their favorite segment and would be extremely upset if they didn't get to hear it every week. And it is something where it's really a forum more than for me to respond, although I I do give a response to most posts. The point is for people to have their say and let me know where my perspective may be only a partial view or that my facts or information may need to be rethought on my part. And so I appreciate people taking the time to post, and that's why this is an important payoff for Krista to read these on the air. Nikki's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nikki. How you doing? Doing all right. How are you? Great, thanks. So your dad's done something for you that you're trying to figure out if it's nice or not. Yeah, yeah. So let me give you the background. I was going to check on my credit score, doing the uh, annual credit report, and um, I thought I was going to get another credit card in order to boost my credit score, but I saw on the credit report it seemed like there the the credit card that was under his account was counting on my credit score. So I wasn't sure if that meant I should get another credit card like for myself to boost my credit score or if that one counted as my second one. Okay, great question. So you're are you an authorized user or a co owner of that account with your dad? I believe I am an authorized user. All right. So it depends on the scoring model and how a, a credit card company would report whether that authorized user status would be a particular note for you. I assume your dad's a great payer and that's just good stuff for you on the report or neutral, one or the other. But Yeah, yeah. But you're working, you're out there doing your own thing now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would much rather you get your own card, another card, Yeah. and then right. uh, close the authorized user status with the card you've had with your dad. Could that be a problem for me if, I don't know, something happened you didn't pay or... Yes. If any, if you are an authorized user and somebody doesn't pay, it reflects negatively on you. You don't have obligation for the debt, but mm-hmm. but the fact credit. right it fouls up your credit. And I don't want you paying at annual credit report anymore for your credit score. Okay. Instead, I'd like you to sign up for an account at Credit Karma or Credit Sesame or both of them, and you'll be able okay. whenever you want to see what's going on with your credit, to see a reasonable representation of your credit score every seven days for free if you want. You're able really to monitor what's going on with your credit. Okay, yeah. And so I do that, but Credit Sesame and Credit Karma. All right. And a lot of people do both, completely free for both of them. Excellent. So, and then once you 
figure out what your next card is going to be. Are you the kind of person who pays your balance in full every month? Oh yes, I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to keep that. All right, then I would like you to get a reward card of some kind. Either are there any uh, any you 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 would let, um, suggest? Yeah. So if you uh, how much do you think you charge in a month? How many um, dollars? I'm on, a, I'm on more than a thousand right now. I All right, then a, I know the card. The City Double yeah. Cash. City Double Cash. It'll pay you 2% cash back on everything you do. And the other alternative is if you're a customer of Fidelity Investments, get their 2% cash back card. Okay. Yeah, City Double Cash. I'll look into that. All right. And then once you get approved for that, that's when you get yourself removed from the account with your dad. Make sure you okay. get that card first. Best yep. to you, and um, I'm glad that your dad's a good payer. Great to be with you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. I want to talk about what you make. So, as you may be aware, I have I was always a very eager student of economics in undergraduate and graduate school. And I have long been skeptical of minimum wage laws. And they have enormous popularity with voters in whether a state is a Republican-oriented state or a Democratic-oriented state or what they call that purple, a mixed state. No matter when there's a citizen vote, citizens vote overwhelmingly of all political persuasions to raise the minimum wage. And again, I have never thought the minimum wage was good economic policy. And I've always held to the belief that if you raise the minimum wage too much, that you create unemployment as employers look to automate functions that people may have done at the lower end of the wage scale. I even cited to you last year a study done at the University of Washington that put out a paper showing that an increase in the minimum wage in Seattle had been disastrous for employment and, of course, what's known as confirmation bias. I saw that and I shared it with you. So today, I eat crow because the researchers at University of Washington a year later have said, oops, we were wrong. And in fact... The increase in the minimum wage improved the lives of people who had been earning the minimum wage and did not decrease their employment. So that was something that I was not prepared for. First, I want to give the researchers props for being willing to revisit the research and acknowledge professionally that they were wrong and that under further examination the minimum wage increase did not destroy employment and in fact it did lead to net fatter paychecks for people because I'd always held to the theory that you would reduce hours that people would be scheduled for work 
and you would reduce the total amount of employment at lower-end jobs. And on both scores, it turns out I'm wrong, at least according to, and this is deep-dive research done at University of Washington. Normally, when you have research that points a different direction than prior research, it's the methodology, and it's people who have an agenda. In this case, it's the same exact people coming up with a different result. So, you know, one of the things in life is you have to be willing to have an open mind and recognize when what your beliefs have been and what they've been set at, that those beliefs can be wrong. And on this one, at least looking at one of the largest metro areas in the country, the Seattle metro area, I am wrong. And we'll see over time if, in fact, you do displace employment as wages move up and up. You know, we've had this big push around the country for what's referred to as the living wage, which is a $15 an hour minimum wage. And I have been someone who has felt that if you want to improve people's earning power, you get them more skills, you get them more training, and you create a, a better position for them in the work marketplace. But it may be that it is about reallocating the pie in a way that I have never looked at and never respected as possible, looking at the pie as being a fixed size. I've never seen that perspective and now I say with all humility that maybe there is some validity to the minimum wage. To you, that may not be a big revelation, but it's been a held opinion of mine for as far back as I can remember. Josh joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Josh. Hi, Mr. Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. Just plain old Clark is fine. <laughs> yes, sir. What's going on, Josh? Uh. So back in 2013, uh, I played for university football. Um, they had me under full scholarship. And during that first year, uh, I received a back injury. And Oh, I'm followed. sorry. Did it end your playing career? I was able to play for about two more years, and then eventually I had to have surgery, and, and it did end it. So, yes, sir. Yuck. What position did you play? I played offensive guard. Oh, the toughest you can be because people are coming for you every single down. Yes, sir. But it's all worth it. <laughs> so I'll let you know in um, junior high when I decided I didn't like getting hit, that was the same position I played. I played, okay. played right offensive guard. <laughs> I played on the left side. So. Yeah, but you obviously were much better than I was that you played through high school and three years of college. I tried my hardest, that was, that was for sure. Well, uh, so from that, I'm gathering something looking back five years is a hassle now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, here in recently in 2018, um, I went to go and check my credit score on Experian. And before I even got to see the credit score, I saw two charges that were unfamiliar for me uh again i'll repeat i was under full scholarship um i have letters stating that i should have been covered for tuition books the whole spiel 
So the university um, should have been responsible for these medical charges that are from long ago? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. And so now I have called the uh, credit corporation to see what steps I can take. Um, being so long ago, uh, now the university has a whole new staff, so that makes it uh, quite difficult to communicate with them. Um, and it seems to me that they've, of course, kind of drug their feet a little. And what I've gathered from the credit corporation is that um, if even if I go ahead and just pay this myself, um, it will mark, be marked as paid in full for the next month, but the damage to my credit score will last for six years and 11 months. So, yeah, and you're yeah. getting close to the end of that. Yes, sir. So um, as far as you paying a bill that was never your legal responsibility, I would recommend that you not pay it. Okay. And not have any further contact with the collection agency. Odds are, in almost every state in the country, you're outside what's known as statute of limitations and that you can't be sued against that, those okay. unpaid medical bills. And But it is an obligation the university had. And even with the turnover in personnel, I would suggest that you make a call to the head of the alumni association or and or the head of the booster club for the football team. Okay. You know, because the alums that are involved with the booster clubs, they are intense and they are very influential on a college campus. And where others are uh, avoiding responsibility for a bill that belonged to the university, people in the booster club may be able to get the university to do what they should have done originally and should have hopped to it once notified by you. Interesting. Okay. But otherwise, if the university just blows you off, it means that when they try to hit you up for alumni contributions, uh, they don't get those from you. Yeah, right. <laughs> but as, as far as the bill, let the clock run because so little time is left. Okay. All right. So a question, just, just to follow up, the, the actual money that is owed, even after that term is up and it goes away from my credit score, does that money stay on my head? No. So remember, as far as being on your head, if you will, once the time period is passed to be able to sue against a debt, basically it's just a reputational thing, which is what it is now. And then that reputational thing ends at the, as they said, six years, 11 months. And I've never heard that is the exact time. Usually I hear six years, nine or seven. But anyway, it goes away. It okay. doesn't mean that at some point, uh, as soon as a scavenger collector may 10, 20 years from now contact you about it, but you have no obligation in any way, shape, form, or fashion, and it can be not be used in any way to harm your credit once the seven years has run. Interesting. Okay. So you can rest pretty easy about this because the clock doesn't have much to run. Okay. But if you want to try to get the bill paid, hit the pressure points at the university. Okay. And best to you as one fellow offensive guard to another, one who was good at the game and one who was not, namely me. Dawn's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dawn. Hey there. Dawn, you have a question for me about credit. Let's see if I can be of help. 
Okay, so um, I've got a good credit rating, but um, and I've paid off two of my credit cards, so I'm feeling great about that. But I've got one more credit card that's got a real, pretty large balance on it, and I'm trying to find a maybe a credit card company that I can transfer that debt from the higher one to maybe one with a zero APR for 12 to 18 months, um, giving me time to pay it off because the interest charges are astronomical. So there are um, far fewer of those offers right now than there were a year ago. And the reason is, is that interest rates have risen and it's costing credit card companies more money if they extend a 0% to you. So what you may find here or there a 0% transfer, but they, yes. they often will impute interest in it with an upfront, usually 4% fee of the balance you're transferring that they then give you the 12 or 18 months interest free. Right. Yeah, I've seen that, and I'm willing to do that so that I can transfer the balance. Do you think that that's just not a good idea? To- no, no, that's a fine idea. If you think you can kill off the balance in a year and a half, if that's the yes. offer, then yes, go for it. Because right now you're looking at an interest rate mid-teens. Yes. Yeah, so if you take something from somewhere in the mid-teens and you take it down to you pay the upfront. I don't know what the actual imputed interest rate would be, but obviously a lot less than paying 15, 17, 18%. I would go for it. As long as now, you are certain you'll be able to wipe it out in the interest-free period because the problem is after that period, the rates tend to boomerang really high on those 0% offers. Yeah, I'm confident that I can do that, but um, I don't know where to look. I see ads for things all over the place, so I don't know, you know, what's honest, what's not. <laughs> well, do you have a Credit Sesame or Credit Karma or both dashboard set up? I don't. Set up both of those, and based on your credit profile, you'll see offers available, and you'll be able to see what might be there for a 0% balance transfer. Perfect. And also, if you are you a member of any credit union? I am not. Okay, because I was going to say, sometimes credit unions will offer such an effectively lower rate on a credit card that it works kind of like doing a balance transfer because you drop it from uh, mid-double digit in the teens down to single-digit rate. Yeah, I've looked at that. I've looked at that. I just didn't, you know... Just with so many options out there, you can get confused sometimes. But Understood I'm look at completely. Credit, credit Sesame, that sounds great. All right, best to you, and I wish you the best getting rid of that debt. Yeah, I have one more question. Oh, okay. Kind of has to do with that. I'm sending my son to college next year, and I've been told that there are millions of dollars in unused scholarships for students entering school. Again, I've done a lot of research on it and don't know exactly where to really start to find those scholarships and what to do. There's a website that's a clearinghouse for legit scholarships, and okay. it's called fastweb.com. Have you seen that? F-A-S-T-W-E-B.com? No, but I will. And uh, there are a lot of uh, phony balonies out there, but FastWeb's the real deal. The one thing I will tell you, it is true that cumulatively there's all these millions of dollars in scholarships, many that go unclaimed, but a lot of the more obscure ones are very partial. You know, you, you, you qualify for 
$500 from this one or $1,200 from that one. But every dollar you grab is a dollar you don't have to pay or borrow. So the work you have to do to scare up the money you'll find on fast web searches takes some work, but it sure is worth it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to put a lot of work into it because I have a friend whose daughter went through college on total scholarships and some were just as, as you were saying. So I know it, it can be done. Well, best to you with that odyssey because the less you got to lay out of your own money or borrow, the better. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asked it. Julius wrote in and said, what are the best marijuana stocks to invest in? <laughs> Oh, I've asked that question so often now. And it's funny, if I speak to a corporate environment, nobody ever asks the question at a corporate event. But if I speak to uh, an event non-corporate, that question inevitably comes up, either during a presentation or somebody will come up to me kind of sheepishly afterwards. So marijuana stocks are ultra-high risk, and it's a marketplace that has not settled down. Nobody knows who's going to be successful in that industry. And we're still in a twilight zone of the federal government saying it's illegal, even if a state says it's legal, legal in some states, not others. Some activities legal in states where it's legal, others not. So this is a highly speculative thing, not an investment. So I don't have any in particular I'd recommend. There's a lot of money chasing the Canadian market right now, but anywhere you do this, you have to look at this as more gambling than looking at it as investing. It'll become clear in a few years where the strong players are, but it's too hard now to say that. All right, Steve wrote in. He said, I'm out of checks with my bank, and they want $25 for, from me for some new checks. Where's the best place for me to get checks for less? Buy them online, and if you ever get a Sunday newspaper and those colorful supplements in a Sunday newspaper, there will be intro offers for you to order checks, usually including junk fees for about somewhere about $7. You also can order checks through Costco Wholesale if you're a member of Costco, but you never want to get checks from your bank because they mark them up usually 600%. And why do you want to give the bank any more money? You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.